What's up, guys? Chris Harry with you on a new episode of Chargers Weekly. Coming up, Rick Saratella of NFL Draft Bible going to join me. He joins me every year around this time of year, January, February, after Senior Bowl. We're going to talk about Justin Herbert, what he saw last year during the draft process versus what happened in 2020. We're also going to take a look at number 13 overall and potential options for the Chargers in the first round. But first, the Athletics' Jeff Duncan joins me with some intel on the Chargers' new offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi. All right, let's bring in a friend of the podcast, the Athletics' Jeff Duncan, author of Peyton and Breeze behind me. Go get your copy. Jeff, what's up, man? Hey, Chris, I'm doing good. Looking uh, looking forward to a big Super Bowl this weekend and uh, looking forward to talking to you about, about this subject matter. Absolutely. Joe Lombardi, the new offensive coordinator of the Chargers. What should fans know about Joe? Well, look, I'm really excited about Joe getting that opportunity. Uh, I think he's going to do a terrific job of total confidence in his ability to run an offense. I think it was a great hire by, um, you know, the, the staff out there. And also uh, uh, for Joe, a chance, I think, to kind of right the ship a little bit. I mean, I think he got a little bit of a bad reputation for his one stint as an offensive coordinator with the Detroit Lions. And I think he's been itching for another opportunity. And this seems like a perfect uh, situation with a great young quarterback. I know he's excited about it. And uh, I'm looking forward to does out there I have no doubt he's going to be successful Jeff what do you think Joe learned from that that stint in Detroit obviously it was kind of sandwiched in between his uh his first stint with the Saints and then going back to New Orleans what do you think he learned most about his time in Detroit well from what I understand I mean he was kind of he wasn't allowed to bring in all of his own offense in other words all the old Saints offense that he ran uh under Sean Payton uh he had to kind of marry up his system with Jim Caldwell's system in Detroit. And there was just two completely ways of doing things. Both of them are successful. Uh, but when you tried to marry that together, uh, I don't think it worked out. The results bore itself out. They just did not uh, really work. And Joe, I think, uh, learned that next time he does it, he's going to run his own offense. And I think that's why he took this system, uh, took this job. I think uh, Brendan Staley, obviously, uh, they go way back. Yeah. They have a lot of respect for each other. And I think certainly in those conversations, uh, I'm sure Joe made him aware that he wanted to do it his way uh, out in Los Angeles. And I expect him to do it, I, especially working with a great young quarterback like Justin Herbert. Uh, I think all the things that uh, Joe Lombardi's learned from working with Drew Brees here in New Orleans will apply to a great young talent like him. I was going to say 12 seasons with both Drew Brees and Sean Payton, that's quite an education. Uh, what do you think Joe learned during a decade plus with those two figures? Well, he's heavily involved in the offensive game planning. I know he had the title of quarterbacks coach here, but he was basically another offensive coordinator. Uh, he and Pete Carmichael, who has the title of offensive coordinator here, uh, they're basically two peas in a pod. I mean, well, some of the other staff members were telling me this week that Pete's running around the offices these days all mopey because his best friend is is now gone because uh, he and Joe Lombardi were heavily involved in every facet of the offensive game plan. Uh, and Joe uh, was a really a key reason why Drew Brees flourished out here and improved so much over his career as a quarterback. Drew Brees will tell you that. I mean, all those meetings that they would have, those game plan meetings, Chris, Chris 
uh, Joe Lombardi, Pete Carmichael, and uh, Sean Payton were involved as a threesome. And so it was very much a collaborative effort in putting together this offensive game plan, which, as you know, has broken almost every offensive record uh, in the NFL in passing numbers over the last decade and a half. No question. And obviously, Drew Brees, that name speaks for itself. But, you know, I even go back to guys like Teddy Bridgewater and, and Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill uh, in, in terms of developing quarterbacks, younger guys. Um, what does that say about Joe and, and how he's able to do that? Because obviously, Drew has been entrenched, going to be a, a gold jacket uh, the second he, he hangs it up. But um, there's other guys in New Orleans, too, that I'm sure he had a heavy hand in. Yeah, I've, I've talked to Joe numerous times about. Uh, Taysom Hill and how high he is on him as a quarterback in the NFL, not just a gadget guy. And I think what that shows you, Chris, is that he can morph his offense and his system around the strengths of whatever quarterback they have come through here. They did that this past year with Taysom Hill. They went three and one uh, with Taysom Hill as the starting quarterback. You alluded to Teddy Bridgewater, who is similar in some some ways, skill set wise to Drew Brees, kind of a game manager, very much a uh, you know, high percentage passer. Uh, so I think what you will see in Los Angeles with Justin Herbert and that great arm he's got, the great mobility he has, you'll see Joe Lombardi marry his offense uh, to to highlight those, those great strengths of Justin Herbert. And he got a firsthand look at him here in the Superdome this year. And everyone that I know that left that game came away impressed with Justin Herbert. He's going to be a star. He already is a, a star in this league. And I think uh, l- learning under Sean Payton how you adapt your offense to highlight the skill set of your quarterback, I think something that he's going to apply out there in Los Angeles. Yeah, you and I spoke right before that. We were previewing that game. I think that was the last time we spoke right before that Monday night game. And uh, a lot has happened since then. And then, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at some parallels between this New Orleans offense and, and what L.A. has here. And, you know, obviously Alvin Kamara, a guy like Austin Eckler kind of fits that role. Obviously, the, the Herbert and Breeze parallel, uh, Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas. So it's not like Joe Lombardi is going to have to start from scratch here when, when you talk about the weapons that he has. You know, offensive line, maybe that's something the Chargers can can kind of beef up this offseason. But in large part, the, the offense scored a lot of points, and, and Justin was able to get it to a lot of different guys. Yeah, that's one of the hallmarks of the Saints offense under Sean Payton. They utilize all five skill set players, perimeter players in the offensive system. Uh, the running backs, as you you know, Alvin Kamara, Reggie Bush, Darren Sproles over the years, Mark Ingram, have all been uh, heavily involved in the passing attack, as I'm sure Austin Eckler will be out there. I, I bet his numbers go up uh, under Joe Lombardi, and he's going to get the tight end involved in well as well. Uh, this this offense has kind of morphed to the talents of the of the players in the system. I remember early on when Sean Payton, Joe Lombardi, and Pete Carmichael were here, it was a Deuce McAllister, Reggie Bush show, and it really was based around the running game. And then they had this great receiving core with Colston and Lance Moore and Devery Henderson and Robert Meacham, and it became a much high-powered passing attack. Then when Jimmy Graham came in, uh, suddenly Jimmy Graham's numbers went through the roof at tight end. I expect that to be very similar out there. And the one thing that they do here that I think somewhat of a, a little bit of a misperception about the Saints, they really believe in the offensive line. They use a lot of first and second round draft picks on, on the offensive line. They really believe that big men like that, that are agile, elite players like that are hard to find. 
And so they, they really believe in, in having that as a strength of the team. I think sometimes that gets lost because the Saints play in a dome. They're sure. kind of labeled a finesse team sometimes. Uh, that's certainly not the case. Jeff, final thing for you, just your reaction to, to the hiring of, of Brandon Staley and just his rise from being in Chicago to Denver, the, the, the one stint with the Rams, number one rated defense, and now he's going to head up his own team in, in Los Angeles. Well, I think it's a obviously it's a meteoric rise, right? I mean, yeah. he, he, just a few years ago, I don't think anybody had heard of Brandon Staley. But the more I've read about him, the more – obviously he did tremendous work last year uh, with the Rams. Defensively, they were at the top of the league, uh, and they had to plug in a lot of new parts there. So I think what we're seeing, Chris, around the league is owners, management, uh, not being afraid to take chances on young, talented coaches. The Saints did it here. When Sean Payton took over, no one had heard of Sean Payton hardly. When he came in, he was really the second choice. Uh, the Saints really were were interested in, in some other coaches at that time. He wanted the job in Green Bay, and they hired Mike McCarthy. The Saints end up with Sean Payton, and the rest is history. Uh, he's probably going to be a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, so I think there's a lot of qualities that you read when you study the background of Brandon Staley that I think will lead to his success. I mean, he's been successful all – Everywhere he's been, he's coached in a number of different, uh, you know, uh, facilities, the different schemes, both sides of the ball. He was a former quarterback. Uh, I just like his background, the fact that he came kind of up the hard way from a lot of small places, uh, small colleges. Uh, he certainly has worked to get to this opportunity, and I know he's excited about it, and that's half the battle, being motivated. So I'm looking forward to watching how he uh, operates out there. I think – I think it's a great hire, and I, I really believe that the, the Chargers have a chance to make a quick run at the top of the, the AFC West because of the talent level on that roster. Jeff, my only regret is we don't play the Saints every year. Uh, I'm hoping maybe that training camp thing gets rekindled, but I'm not sure yeah. what's going to happen with that. <laughs> Always love you guys coming out West. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm going to try and plug that uh, into the Saints management and try and get that back on the schedule because that was so much fun every year spending time out there, such a class operation and a great venue, beautiful venue. So let's see if we can both make that happen on each side of the uh, of, yeah. of this podcast. I'll, I'll work my side, you work yours. The Athletics' Jeff yeah. Duncan, always appreciate your time, man. Congrats on the book and all your success and look forward to catching up with you down the road. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's bring on another friend of the pot, Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible. Rick, it's been a while, man. I think it's been – literally like a year to the week how you been yeah it's been too long chris but it must be january or february once once the calendar flips i know we get to chat and so appreciate you having me back absolutely well hey let's start with this because this morning justin herbert was announced uh, as rookie of the year your overall thoughts on what you saw from justin this year you and i spoke about when the chargers were drafting at number six overall what justin herbert could potentially do in the league he kind of checked every box during that draft evaluation process, and then you saw the results this year. Yeah, and I think we had him number four overall, which turned out to be higher, what I realized, than the general consensus nationally. But here we are, fast forward a year later, and, uh, you know, there wasn't a better rookie. And the NFL recognized that. And I can only imagine, Chris, had he started the full 16-game slate, I mean, there's a lot of records here that would have been toppled and some really eye-popping numbers. But you take a look at the leadership, 
And, you know, it all it all began with the haircut. Right now. Nah, just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, when you saw him out of Oregon, man, you know, I, I just sensed it. And you saw him down at the, the senior bowl, too. I thought he was the alpha dog down there. But he's got everything you look for in a modern day quarterback. I, I thought his uh, mobility and athleticism was an underrated attribute. You saw him uh, be able to buy time in the pocket really squeeze some balls into some tight windows. And you take a look at where the quarterback position is evolving. It seems like at least half the league or almost close to two thirds of the league is trying to find a franchise quarterback. Yeah. And now the chargers have one on a rookie deal. So there's a window here. This is not a team that I think should be looking to rebuild. They should be looking to reload. And I think that's what they're doing. Like you said, this is a, a prime opportunity to get some guys back healthy, uh, continue to add via the draft and free agency. I think the Chargers have nine picks in the draft this year. So we'll we'll get into that. Um, another guy, Kenneth Murray, drafted in the first round. Uh, he led the Chargers in tackles, 16 starts, proved to be pretty durable. Now, your thoughts on Kenneth coming into the draft, what he did in year one, and then you bring in a guy like Brandon Staley who has that background coaching linebackers, could be a big jump for Kenneth in year two. Yeah, you got to be excited about it. And he was one of our guys. Again, he was like top 15, top 16 value. I thought an immediate plug-and-play starter. We saw it. Again, just a feisty guy who's going to fill the gaps, shoot the holes, cover a lot of ground, brings a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, yeah. and you hit the nail on the head. Now you got a, a, a one of these up-and-coming defensive minds that can even get a little bit more creative on the defensive side of the ball. You got those nine draft picks to inject some youth and fresh legs into the defense, which I'm hoping that they do. And so now, you know, again, you start complementing a, a, a stout defense to go with a franchise quarterback. The Chargers have really set themselves up here to be one of those teams. Every year we see a team that doesn't make the playoffs and then they come back and win the division. I'm telling you, the Chargers could be that team next year. So last year, we were both down in Mobile. This has been such a, a weird year, as you alluded to at the top. And the Chargers were in coordinator mode last week. So I, I wasn't down at the Senior Bowl. They were uh, having introductory press conferences for, for their special teams coordinator, offense and defense. So you had staff down there. What were the key takeaways from Mobile this past year? Well, one... Uh, it was a different look and a different feel for sure. The, the NFL personnel were roped off at the, the corner of each end zone. They did get a chance to interview players in person, which will really be the first time and only time that that will really get, get to occur. And I, I think that was an in, invaluable experience because you're talking about historically the senior bowl is a lot of guys who go on day one, day two, there's a lot of money investment in these guys. You want to get to see their body language. You want to, ask them the tough questions, look them in the eye, get a feel for a guy. Right. And yeah. so I think they invested like $76,000 in, in plexiglass alone, <laughs> just so the personnel could interview with the players and kudos to Jim Nagy and, and their staff. Um, while it was a little bit different dynamics, maybe not as much physical or as intense one-on-one -on -one kind of sessions that we're used to seeing, but they did get it in later on in the week. And I think it served a huge purpose. Hey, just based on getting measurements alone, we saw how valuable that was a season ago. And then you take away platforms such as the East West Shrine Bowl, the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl. There will be no official scouting combine. I mean, the Senior Bowl really served a huge purpose, and I, I, I can't give them enough kudos for, for executing that.
It's a great point. No combines. So teams really had to take advantage of those interviews because other than pro days and, you know, again, all this stuff is very fluid, but uh, the way that GMs and and teams are going to have to approach this evaluation process is going to be completely different than what they're accustomed to. And last year, we knew Phillip Rivers was moving on. Chargers had the number six overall pick. I think you and I talked a lot of quarterbacks because that was the, the position that most thought the Chargers were going to go in at number six overall. At number 13, I see a couple of different options, but I'm leaning heavily towards the offensive line, uh, being able to get Justin Herbert some protection. Um, let's just start with that position group in this draft. Your thoughts on it and who could be available at number 13 overall? I, I think I think it's a sneaky good offensive line draft class, really. And and Panay Sewell will be the consensus first pick off of the board. And then after that, it's really what you're looking for, I believe, because a guy like Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, where he started at tackle, we don't know what his measurements are yet. Uh, you know, could they could they kick him inside at the next level? Could some people like him as a center? I don't care where you play him. I think you're getting an immediate plug and play starter. And he's proven that with his film, he opted out this past year, but he's just that good. I think, you know, he's a guy that's going to go into the top 15 that a lot of people aren't talking about. And he could play any one of those positions. Now, another guy that I think is moving up is Christian Darisaw out of Virginia tech. I really like what he brings to the table. Um, just a shade under six foot five. Otherwise he checks off all the boxes And I think he has the ability to play left tackle where, you know, there's only a handful of those guys in this year's draft. Samuel Cosme out of Texas, I think, is another guy who could be, you know, in that left tackle mold. But otherwise, Trey Smith from Tennessee, if he doesn't go in the first round, I think when you come back on the second round, he could be a guy who's a first round talent. Now, he had a little bit of a disappointing senior bowl, right? But we can't put all our stock into that. What he's done over the course of his career in the SEC, starting at Tennessee, he's laid down an impressive body of work. And he's a first-round talent, Chris, but we don't know what the medical is going to look like. He had a couple of blood clotting issues earlier on in his career. It's been, you know, he's been okay since then. I don't know how much that impacts his draft stock, but on film, he's a first-round guy. So if you can get him on day two, I think that would be a real good value. What about Elijah Vera Tucker? This is just a guy in our backyard at USC, a, a junior. Uh, what do you see with him and in, in his prospects at the next level? He really boosted his draft stock because I think coming into the season, we had him as a day two, day three, more of like a, a mid to late round guy. But as the season wore on, and, and there's someone who really benefited from the Pac-12 opting back in, because without the 2020 season, Elijah Veriteka probably doesn't boost his draft stock the way he did. I think he's probably in the back end of the first round now. He's a top 50 lock in my book. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if he goes somewhere between like 16 to 26 could be a soft landing spot for him. But he brings size. He brings the nasty. Uh, he can bring stability on the interior, which could be a value of the Chargers. Two positions the the Chargers are set at, quarterback and wide receiver in when you're looking at these mock drafts and they change every week, we know that, but chargers don't need a wide receiver. They don't need a quarterback. When I start to see these positions in the top 10, that means talent's getting pushed back to number 13. So we mentioned offensive line. What about quarterback? Quarterback is another position I'm intrigued by with the chargers because 
Uh, you know, you have Casey Hayward and Mike Davis. Mike Davis is a free agent. Uh, Derwin James coming back in that secondary. Um, who who could be a, a nice option potentially in the first or second round at corner for the Chargers? Well, you make a good point because the best case scenario is teams trade up for these quarterbacks. And, and maybe you might see four quarterbacks in the top 10. Yeah. And, and then you got to factor in, okay, well, Jamar Chase, Micah Parsons, and Panay Sewell are probably the top three non-quarterbacks off the boards. So if those seven guys go before the Chargers, could a guy like Patrick Sertain fall from Alabama That's to the char- right into the Chargers' yeah. lap? It's possible. It seems unlikely, but there's a chance that could happen. That would be the dream scenario. But I think if, if that doesn't happen, you're probably looking at a Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech, big, lengthy, uh, rangy type of cornerback who I think is more of the general consensus top corner behind Sertain. But we at the NFL Draft Bible, we're big fans of J.C. Horn out of South Carolina, physical man coverage corner, really like what he brings to the table. I I would have no problem if they pulled the trigger on a J.C. Horn at cornerback at number 13. Yeah, and I mentioned Chris Harris Jr. too, obviously, but but Chris Harris Jr. in the slot, uh, that's where you want him. So you have nine picks. You're the Chargers. What are the, the position groups that have the most depth this year? Well, you mentioned, funny, the wide receiver position has so much depth that maybe somebody could slide and, and they start they maybe think about that in the middle of the rounds. But, hey, I kind of like the tight end class, maybe not top-heavy, right? It, it, it's probably one guy, Kyle Pitts, who I, believe, I, I think I had him going number five to the Bengals in my last mock draft. I, I'm that high on Kyle Pitts. And then I think Brevin Jordan – Baby Gronk, Pete Fryermuth out of, out of Penn State. You got Brevin Jordan from Miami. I think these are like day two targets that could come in, uh, really be immediate contributors. And then there's some depth on the back end, like Trey McKitty out of Georgia. There's a, he came in with 11-inch mitts down there at the Senior Bowl, just underused, underutilized. He comes out like gangbusters at the Senior Bowl. He's making all these fantastic plays, dipsy-doos, dunkers, and, and he was really one of the biggest risers. So I think the tight end has very sneaky uh, depth at that position. On the defensive side, you know, corners have good depth. You know, the edge rushers, again, while it's not superstar talent, there's a lot of guys – uh, Aziz Ojori from, from Georgia, the redshirt sophomore, is an edge rusher with a lot of upside. Gregory Rousseau, he opted out the defensive end. And Miami, I mean, they've got three of the best defensive ends or pass rushers uh, between Jalen Phillips, the transfer out of UCLA, five-star recruit. He goes to Miami. Gregory Rousseau opts out. And here comes Jalen Phillips, who plays like that five-star recruit. He finally lives up to the hype. And he's a guy now that might sneak into the first round, but it's really unbelievable what, what Manny Diaz does. He's head coach at Temple for a day. He says, wait a second. <laughs> no, let me take the hurricane job, but let me bring this guy Quincy Roche with me. He's in Temple one day. He steals the best edge rusher from the team. And here's Quincy, Roche, another guy who joined us on, on, on my show last week and just really a smart guy, a uh, great team leader and a, a versatile guy, you know, Quincy Roche, you talk about this edge rushing class where Rousseau and, and Phillips are more hand in the dirt guys. Quincy Roche could play hand in the dirt, but he's probably a stand-up guy at the next level. He could probably be a hybrid. couple more for you, Rick. This is such a strange season 
for draft evaluators and NFL front offices. What do you think the biggest challenges are? And do you think we'll see some top flight talent maybe sneak out of the first round just because the way that we're approaching this year, the, the homework being done, in, in many ways it's incomplete because of the season we just had in college football. I do. I mean, it's it's been such a difficult challenge to get verified information, right? Because the, the NFL draft is all about intel. And the more yeah. intel you have, the more edge. And so, like, when you can't send your scouts out to the school and be down on the field and the eyeball test is like half the battle, you, you want to see what they look like in person, how they move, even how they interact, how they respond to coaching. You're not getting any of that. On top of it, like, if you, you know – the senior bowls for seniors and some select juniors who, who earn their degree. But otherwise, like a lot of these juniors, we, if they're pro, I mean, I've spoken to some schools who already told their players, Hey, we're not having a pro day. So, you know, if there's no measurements on these guys, yeah, you're exactly right. There's going to be some really good players who scouts just don't want to pound the table for. And unfortunately the small school guys are the ones that feel the brunt of this the FCS, the small school guys, because we saw it last year, there was a record low. Only six players from the FCS level were selected because there was no verified measurements. There was no times. And that's what it's all about with a small school guy. You want to know, hey, what does he run? What does he look like? What does he measure up against the power five guys? And if I don't know that, well, hey, I'm not going to put my job on the line for the guy. And I think that's the biggest challenge. I think for the Chargers, when I see you have nine picks, this is a great year to have nine picks because you you could take some shots in those mid rounds on guys that perhaps could have been day one picks just because of the kind of the current climate that we're in. Now, that's a good point. And you're exactly right. And, and I'm curious to see how it plays out because, you know, Tom Telesco's first class, he's always treated me with the utmost respect. And I, and I feel the same way about his whole entire scouting staff. They do the work and and the scouting departments that have those veteran scouts now that will get the callbacks because listen, now you've got 32 teams contacting the schools, trying to talk to the strength coach and the pro liaison and trying to, you know, and these guys are trying to recruit. They got national signing day. They got this guy. So like, if you don't have those connections, because we've seen in the scouting community, a lot of teams go with the younger kind of information gatherers that are new, they're still green to the business. Guess what? Those guys aren't getting the call back. But, you know, some of these guys that have been going into the same schools for decades and have those relationships, I think those are the teams with a little bit of an upper hand here in this year's draft. Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible. Rick, give me the lowdown on the on the Draft Bible. I love it every year, and uh, it continues to grow. Well, you know, your copy will be in the mail, Chris, once again. And so, you know, a lot has transpired since the last time we spoke. NFLDraftBible.com is now relaunched on Sports Illustrated. We're really excited about that announcement. And the official 2021 NFL Draft Bible publication is still being produced this year. You have to go to AllAccessFootball.com to download and pre-order that one. But if you want to just stay on top of everything we do, because we're we're honestly – 24 7 365 year-round coverage of the nfl draft just follow us on twitter at nfl draft bible we put out everything we do there and hey i promise you uh you won't be disappointed chris i really appreciate the time it's always a pleasure chopping it up hopefully we get to do this uh, sometime soon 
Yeah, more than once a year. Maybe we'll do this again before the draft. Rick, always appreciate it, bud. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you so much. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to Rick Saratella, Jeff Duncan for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. Be sure to download and subscribe to the Chargers Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Chargers Weekly going to be with you all year round, every Thursday. Uh, We had a lot of podcasts, I think, a couple of weeks ago with Brandon Staley being hired. Want to get as much perspective as possible. But now we'll be back to our regular time every Thursday. Tune in. Have a great weekend. And until next time, I'm Chris Hayreed.